Welcome to the Next Level Youth Podcast. Here you will find sermons and content from Next Level Youth. We meet every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. at the Palace of Praise Church. We hope this content challenges and encourages you in your walk of faith. Let's grow in Christ together. Last week, big idea was this. Hope has a name. Hope is alive. It has a, he has a name. It's a person. And this person is Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ's first arrival on earth and what that meant and what he did for all of mankind, we have hope for today. And in this Christmas season, what we should be doing above all things is preparing our heart to celebrate the first coming, the birth of Jesus Christ through a virgin named Mary. That's what we talked about last week. And if you forgot, I'm going to be fast about it. Quick review. Advent. Advent. Who's heard that word? Who at least knows it now, right? Advent. This is what it means. It means arrival. And we are taking time as the next level youth to honor and observe Advent. Excuse me. Which traditionally started last Sunday on the 3rd and then goes through the 24th of December. Um, who's, who's doing the plan? Don't, don't raise your hands, in fact. I hope that the plan's going well for you, and I hope it's helped you focus on what Christmas is all about. Um, if you don't know, we started a Bible plan last week called um, Advent uh, by the Church of the Highlands on the Bible app, and I should have had slides up, and I don't. I apologize. But anyway, I hope that's going well for you, and if you want to start that, come see me after service. Anyway, moving on. Observing Advent to things with Advent, two main purposes of Advent. We already said one, to prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ that's already taken place. Secondly, to prepare our hearts for his second coming, the day he told us what to come, the day he told us to prepare, to prepare for and to prepare others for. And in the night, we briefly looked at the story of Simeon and Anna in Luke 2, 22 through 38. And these two people, old in their age, they understood the weight of what happened because in this moment Jesus comes to the temple and he is, has all the ceremonial things done that the Jews would do. And Simeon knows who Jesus is. Anna knows who Jesus is, understands this isn't just some baby boy, that this is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one the Old Testament prophesied about. This was the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world who would change everything. And let us not... Overlook the significance of the birth of Jesus. And that's what we learned from Simeon and Anna who celebrated Jesus over 2,000 years ago. And Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit want us to celebrate the same way today. Because if we do, if we do, if we will set our eyes on Jesus, if we will stir the hope that already relies within us, if we know God, then what will happen as we get in His presence and we fix our eyes on Him and we take our eyes off everything else and everyone else, what will happen is that just like Simeon and Anna, you will be filled with peace. He will enlighten you and remind you just how good it is to be saved. He will bring light and bring hope into your darkness. He will fill you once again with wonder and awe. He will fill you with praise and thanksgiving. And it will stir you up so much to the point that you cannot help but tell other people about the good news of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. The hope that filled those two 
2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, is alive and well today. Alive and well today. So tonight, we shift our focus, and we didn't even go that deep last week, but we shift our focus to last week was Advent, hope for today. This week is Advent, hope for forever. Look at your neighbor and say, forever. Forever. If you know that movie reference, we are better friends because of it. Santa, no, no, it's been to like Beckham. It's not saying a lot. Anyway, huh? <laughs> Moving on. Distract me, geez, Louise. All right, hope for forever. Say it again loud. Say forever. Yes. All right, let's do it. Hey, this is the last sermon of 2023 Woo! in Next Level Youth. Oh, wow. All right, praise God. Thank God I don't have to hear him again until next year. I'm just kidding. We're good. We're good. Don't worry about it. Anyway, here we go. You ready? If you're curious, we're going to be in John 14. A little bit later, we'll be in 2 Peter chapter 3. It comes after 1 Peter, if you were wondering. That joke doesn't get old. In John 13, before John 14 gets there, right? In John 13, Jesus is in this process of trying to prepare the 12 disciples to prepare them for what's about to happen, to prepare them for the fact that he is about to leave. Um, Not just leave, but leave in the most epic of fashions. He is about to um, be falsely accused. He's about to be taken and lied on. He's about to be tortured and beaten beyond recognition. He's going to be mocked and spit on and ridiculed. He's going to be called names that you do not want to be called. Um, He's about to die for the sins of the world. He's about to literally place the burden of the sin of all mankind in the past, in the present, in the future on his shoulders. These moments are heavy, and the disciples are starting to feel the weight of what's about to happen. But just to be truthful, they just don't really get it. They just don't understand um, they just they just don't. And so Jesus is trying to tell them what's going to happen. He's trying to prepare them. And in John 13, 33, I'll read a couple verses anyway from John 13, and we'll get into John 14. Funny that Jacob read that in the call to worship. Uh, he didn't know that was the, the, one of the main texts for tonight. But this is what Jesus said in John 13, 33. Little children... Yet a little while, I am with you. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to be here much longer. You'll seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. He's like, so listen, you're going to want me to stay. You're going to be looking for me, but I'm about to leave. But where I'm going, you cannot come with me. You got to understand something. These guys had been like glue to Jesus' side for a long time. They'd done what he asked them to do, but they spent a lot of time with Jesus, right? He's saying, hey, I'm about to go and you can't come with me. In verse 36 of John 13, Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. So he's saying, hey, I'm going to go. You can't follow me now, but later you can come where I'm going. You can follow me afterward. 
in the room, in the moment, concern. Go back and read John 13 for yourself. Don't have time. We're going to read a lot of scripture tonight. Imagine you've been best friends with Jesus, the Messiah. You've seen miracle after miracle. You have, you have just spent so much time together in a bond. I want to let you know something. This is for free. There are people in your life that you just can't stand. But if you had to spend three days with them, I would venture to guess that you would probably really come to like that person if you had to spend that much time with them. I would just challenge you. Now, maybe, just maybe you wouldn't. um, But if you don't, check yourself before you wreck yourself because maybe you're the problem. Anyway, but you have to understand, this wasn't just some, this wasn't Judas. We're talking about Jesus, right? We're talking about Jesus. And so the weight of this moment, can you imagine Jesus is about to encourage them in John 14 because he can see it on their face. These guys are worried. They're concerned. What do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean? We can't go. What are you talking about? Where are you going? What are we doing here? What's the deal? So Jesus comforts them. And I want you to let these words of Jesus that he said to the disciples, I want you to understand these words are for you too tonight. Now, I'm going to be clear about something. Not everything you read in the Bible is about you and pertains to you. Oh, wow. You are actually not the central character of the Bible. Jesus is. Oh, wow. Revelation, right? But not the book, but like a literal revelation for maybe some of you. This is what Jesus says. John 14, 1 through 7. Lots of free things tonight. I'm just, just laying them out there, right? John 14, 1 through 7. We're going to read the NLT, actually, for time. Not the ESV, the NLT. <clears throat> Here we go. Yes. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Stop freaking out, my home dogs. That's what he said. I know he did. Stop. It's going to be all right. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Verse 5. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Verse 6. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you would have known who my Father is from now on. You do know him, and you have seen him. And he said... You know him and have seen him because if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Anyway. Troubled, concern. We've been waiting on a Messiah. He's here and they didn't fully understand he was the Messiah. But they knew for sure they didn't want Jesus to go. So what does Jesus do? He offers them hope. Hope for that day, but this was hope that would last And last forever. What did Jesus say? To be quick in these verses. He said. Don't worry. I know you're worried. But don't. I'm going to leave. But when I leave. I'm going to prepare a place. So that where I go. You may go also. You're going to be with me again. Don't worry. I am going to come back. And personally get you. And then he says. You know where I'm going. The disciples, he was saying, you should know where I'm going. But they, they didn't, wasn't quite tracking with them. 
And then he says, I am the way to get to the place that I prepare for you, that I'm preparing for you. He says a lot there, and we could spend a lot of time. We're not going to. We're going to keep moving. Jesus says out of his mouth, I understand I've come this long way to motive for me, a moment for, for me to be here, but now I'm leaving and I'm going to come back for all who embrace me because I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. It would seem to the disciples that nothing could be better than just being with Jesus, like they're in the flesh, but Jesus says, I got better things for you. And he tells us the same. Who loves just spending time with God? Like, just be honest. Who loves it? There's better. There's better coming. Jesus says, this is great to have me here and now, but you should, you just, you don't understand how much better one day it's going to be. You can't go with me now, but one day I'm coming to get you so we can be together forever in paradise. And that should fill us with hope and joy and peace and comfort and strength. This is hope for today that there is a forever and that this life is not the end and that we don't have to get what we deserve, but instead we can be with God forever in a place He is preparing for us. If we are followers of Jesus This is as close to hell as we will ever get. But for those who don't know the way, the truth, and the life, this is as close to heaven as they'll ever be. Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. This should fill us with hope. And just to get a little more insight into what this place looks like and what it's going to be like, we're going to go read in Revelation 21, 1-7 more insight into what Jesus is preparing for those who know him. Revelation 21, 1-7, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And he said to me, Write this down, for I tell you, what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This isn't some pipe dream. This isn't false hope. This isn't ignorant hope. Just like Jesus said he was going to come, he came the first time, he died, he defeated death, he rose again, he ascended to heaven. And just like the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus, the New Testament will be fulfilled one day when Jesus comes back again. And in this moment, when the new heaven and the new earth descend, or yeah, us, yeah, descend onto the earth, 
it will all be finished. Jesus said it is finished. The first act is finished. God just says when this moment happens, it's taken care of forever. New earth, everything new, paradise, freedom, and so on. We don't even have time to get into how glorious this is going to be. We should be the most hope-filled, glorious, joyful people on the planet. We should. This hope is for everyone. I just want to remind you and remind myself what I actually deserve. Because all of those things that I just said, I know, I know I don't deserve. I don't deserve. This is what I deserve. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, the earth. And the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. The books were open including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 21.8 Cowards, unbelievers, corrupt, murderers, immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is what we deserve. But because of Jesus... I don't have to get what I deserve. And the truth of the matter is, no one else does. He doesn't want you to. That's the truth. That's the beauty. He doesn't want that for you. So he came. Moving on. Now, if you were to read on in the story... From John 14, Jesus tells his disciples a lot of important things before he goes to the cross. But it wasn't long, it wasn't that many days afterwards that Jesus peaced out and he hasn't been back to the earth, at least where we could see him in human form, in over 2,000 years. So here's the question. Jesus says, I'm going, but I'm coming back. So where, where he at, though? I know people don't say it anymore. You know, I don't care. I'm not trying to be cool. Like, that's what comes to my mind. Can't help it. I don't, I'm not trying to be cool. I, I know who I am. I, I know who I am. Where's he at? Where's he at? Why hasn't he come back? How much longer we got to wait for paradise? Because it sucks down here sometimes. Now, Jesus answered some of this in John 14, but sometimes we're just not content, like, because we're humans with just straightforward answers, right? Sometimes we want more. Who likes more details? Because John 14, a little vague. 
I'm going to prepare a place for you. What are you talking about, Jesus? Like, sounds cool. It must be nice. More detail. That's where we're heading. Say, I need more details. Four of you do. Praise God. All right. Praise God. Praise God for the five. We need ten for us not to be consumed with fire. Anyway. So, Sodom and Gomorrah reference. Um, you're welcome. We're going to go to 2 Peter 3 to finish tonight. We're going to pull everything else the rest of the night there. I don't know why I tried to set that back down. So I'm going to use it right now. 2 Peter 3, 1 through 15. Now, before I read it, if you want to come talk to me about the end of all things, where I camp out is 2 Peter 3 and Matthew 24 because I think it has a lot to say with the end of time and the end of days. All right? Because it just does. You're about to figure that out if you didn't know already. 2 Peter 3, 1 through 15. <clears throat> Peter writing this. Praise God. This is my second letter to you, dear friends. Both of them I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago. And what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. Verse 4, pay attention. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? They will say, where he at though? From the beginning, <laughs> from before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water and then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. We just read about that. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. Hear him. Hear this. Pay attention. A day is like a thousand years. I just lost my place. To the Lord, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. Verse 13, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and a new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Last verse. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote with you, to you, excuse me, with the wisdom God gave him. So much to say, little time to do it. Let's attempt to say as much as we can in a short amount of time. But in verse 4, 
Peter addresses the haters. He addresses the scoffer, the naysayer, the skeptic who rise up and say, you say Jesus is coming, where is he at? And maybe you've been hearing about him coming back all of your life like I have. And maybe you've gotten to this point where you think, you know what? I'm getting a little skeptical here, God. Things are looking a little grim right now. The economy, inflation, gas prices, pork prices. I'm mad about pork prices right now. Anybody else mad? I am flaming mad. Praise God. I'm going to open a pig farm and change everything. No, I'm not. I will not fall into that temptation. Amen? Maybe that's you, though. Let's rein it back in. Let's stop thinking about pork. Sounds delicious. Maybe you're wondering, where are you at? You said you're coming back. Why, where are you? Why is it taking so long? 2,000 years, over 2,000 years. Why is it taking so long? And how much worse do things have to get before you get back? He addresses all this. Peter does. This is what he says. He says a lot. I'll just say a few things he said anyway. First thing, what seems to be long to us isn't long to God. What seems to be long to you isn't long to Him. Verse 8, a day is like a thousand years. In a thousand years like a day. No big deal to him. He's been here forever. He's going to be here forever. Time is nothing to him. What's another thousand years? It's no big deal. No sweat off his back. Second thing. God isn't being slow. He's being patient. He's being patient. Verse 9. He is patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be, be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. Verse 15. Remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Why hasn't he came back yet? He's not slow. He's patient. He doesn't want anyone to get what they deserve. He wants to save them from what they deserve. Number three. Just as Christ was born at the perfect time, He will return at the perfect time. Christ was born at the perfect time. Galatians 4.4 When the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. John 14.3 Jesus said, When everything is ready, when the earth is ready, when my people are ready, when they've done what I ask them to do, when heaven's ready for you, when I say it's ready, it's ready. I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Every single day that God doesn't return is another day that a sinner has a chance to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus. God knows exactly what he is doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. He won't be late. He isn't late. He will be on time. So stop acting like he won't be and stop living like he won't be. Put your worry aside 
and understand that you don't have it all figured out, but he does. He does. Thank God I don't have to have it all figured out. He's got it figured out. To end the night, legitimately, so we understand these things so far, I hope. So what do we do while we wait? Now, there's a lot of passages that offer a lot on this. What do we do while we wait? We will just say what Second Peter 3 says for tonight. And if you want more text, just read the Bible. Just look it up. Google's powerful. It, it, you know, it might be evil. I don't know, but it does a lot of stuff. It's pretty cool. So I could say, hey, uh, Christmas tree, turn on. Hey, Google, turn on Christmas tree. Pretty cool, man. Anyway, pretty cool, man. It's pretty neat. What do we do while we wait? Five things. Are you ready? Put it five. Put your hand up. I am not going to stop preaching right now. Five. Five. Stop telling me to stop, all right? I rebuke you. What do we do while we wait? Number one, all this stuff from 2 Peter 3. What do we do while we wait? We live like it might be today. So maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're like, I think God's coming back in less than two years. Or maybe you're like, I don't think he's ever coming back. No matter where you find yourself on the scale, all right? No matter where you're at, we are supposed to live like it could be any moment, any day. What does it say in 2 Peter 3? Like a thief. If you knew a thief was coming to your house, you would have a gun. And you would pop them, right? Or at least call the cops. Right? But we don't know. You don't know when a thief likes coming. He's just coming when he feels like it. And that's what's going to happen with the Lord. So we need to live like today might be our last day. Don't act like you got plenty of time. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. This gives every day eternal purpose. <clears throat> we shouldn't brush off any day. We should embrace it for what God has in that day, which is fellowship with Him. He wants us to know Him, and He wants us to help others know Him as well. Number two. So we've said we need to live like it could be today. Number two, we need to live like it might be a thousand years from now. We need to live like it might be a thousand years from now. We don't need to fold on our hands and say, I think the Lord's coming back tomorrow, so I'm going to chill out here. And I'm not saying anyone is doing that. I'm just saying, like, we don't need to wait. Like, God tells us pretty clear, while you wait, you got work to do. God might not, Big Mike, capital M-I-G-H-T, just might not come in your lifetime. But we have work to do that informs and affects forever. So let's act like it. Let's act like it. Let's act like that God has a plan for us in this life. And let's build the kingdom. Amen. And while we wait, while we wait... I know that one day I'm going to get to encounter God fully. I know. I know. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I don't know about you. I understand I can't fully know God today, but I want to know Him as much as I can, even if it's in part. Like, I refuse to wait to get closer to God till He comes back. I want him now. The gospel's good today. The power of God's alive today. I'm going to live every day as if I can get closer and closer and closer to him. Number three, we need to live holy lives. 
The only way you can live holy lives, it's not by trying harder. It's about getting closer to the one who empowers you to live a holy life, to the one who calls you to live a holy life. You get holy by simply being in his presence. And he empowers you and he fills you and he changes you and he works on you. We need to be friends with God. We need to be sons and daughters of God. And we need to let him work on us. And we need to let his spirit empower us to live different than the culture and the world. We're supposed to be different. We need to let the Holy Spirit transform us. We need to look and be different. Number four. We look forward to it. We look forward to it. We should be excited about heaven. We should be excited about the day that Jesus promised us. We should look forward to it. There's a lot of things I want to accomplish in my life, and I even feel like God wants me to accomplish in this life for Him. There's a lot I haven't done, and a lot I haven't seen, but even if I don't get to do all that, I know it's not even close in comparison to what it's going to be like to be with Him forever. And I know that what my heart longs for more than success or trips or national parks or big bass is the God of the universe. It's the God of the universe and communion with Him forever. Why wouldn't we look forward to it? Last thing, number five. Number five, and then I'll stop. We hurry it along. Verse 12 in the NLT, 2 Peter 3. Let's read it. Waiting for, and that's, can we go to the NLT? We'll read that one next. It's all right. It's tough tonight. This is a lot. Josh is the bomb. Can we go back to NLT? That's all right. 2 Peter 3, verse 12, NLT, and then we'll go to the ESV. Looking forward to the day and hurrying it along. I won't read the ESV. If you could just leave that up there for me. 2 Peter 3, 12, ESV. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. What is this saying? Because so far, it seems like one of the central messages of this text is that God's patient. Be patient. Like, act like it could be today. Act like it could be forever. Like, you might not see them in your lifetime. One of the central themes is patient. So what... What's Peter saying when he says, hurry it along? A lot of other versions says, hasten the coming of the Lord. This is what the word hasten means. To cause something to happen sooner than it otherwise would. To cause something to happen sooner than it otherwise would. What this text is not saying is like, being in a hurry to get closer to God and like run as hard as you can and do as much as you can in the short amount of time. And we need to, this is a walk, not a sprint. And we need to act like he could come back tomorrow. But we can't get, you can't be as mature. And I'm not going there. Anyway, I've got time. I've got time. What's this text saying? 
This is what I believe it's saying. And the answer is found in the reason that he hasn't came yet. He doesn't want heaven without us, so he's patiently waiting. And you know what I believe he's waiting for, according to this text and according to Matthew 24? This is what he's waiting for. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all people, all people, and then the end will come. You want to see Christ return? You want to fully know God? Do you want to go to the place He prepared for you quicker? Then take God's word seriously. Understand this hope isn't for a few. It's for the whole world and what God is waiting for before He comes is for the whole world to hear about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And He is not coming back until they do. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. The Word of God said it. I didn't say it. Peter said it. Hurry it along. He's waiting on us. He's waiting on us. He's waiting on His people to tell the story to all four corners of the earth. And then He'll come. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you for tuning in. God bless.